This is Jane Smith reporting for WASP News. We report so you don't have to decide. Now, we're live outside of Sovereign Studios, where a protest has been taking place. Uh, sir, sir, what is going on here? We're going to put an end to his godless hedonism. He's corrupting the entire planet. Uh, you must be talking about the golden stallion of the tech world, Brian Sovereign. That's right. That sex fiend of an anarchist has crossed the line. We're going to rip his triple black clothing and then him to shreds. But Brian Sovereign believes in nonviolence. We don't care. He wants to end government and wants to pervert science and technology to do it. Brian Sovereign has to be stopped. This just in. Brian Sovereign is coming out of the studio. kind of a shock and a surprise for listeners of Sovereign Tech because I was supposed to release a Halloween episode this week and where there was going to be the adventures of Brian Soviet. Can you imagine that? <laughs> <laughs> but this week, instead, we had such a great time at Bitcoin Investor, I decided to have a couple of guests on the show and this is all being done in a hotel room on the bed. Don't Purse. Don't judge. Yeah, don't judge. <laughs> <laughs> but that's how this is getting recorded on the, the handy-dandy H1 Zoom, uh, which I love. And so we're just going to let this run. And, of course, I'm being joined by the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Hey! We're yeah. in the bed in Vegas, in that's the hotel right. room. Yeah. It's not staying in Vegas. No, no, nothing stays in Vegas Someone anymore. Someone complained about that on our Facebook That's post. right, yeah, totally impossible. So, But I'm also being joined, and this is such a pleasure. Uh, she's been on the show before, she was on at Porkfest, but the absolutely amazing, I am such a huge fan, MK Lords. Uh, thanks so much. It's awesome. Yeah, we're in Vegas. This is my first time in Vegas. And it's this like, is your first time amazing. in Vegas? It is, okay. yeah. Right on. So... Uh, well, for Stephanie and I, I guess this is together. This is, like this our, is our second or third, fourth. Oh, it's like our fourth, I think. Yeah, we always end up in Vegas, and we don't really want to be here because, like, we've gone to a couple of Bitcoin conferences here, and yeah, they, we just like weren't that excited about them. <laughs> but this is the first one we're really excited about being yes. here, and it definitely impacted how much fun we had this trip. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, MK, I want to hear first. I mean, what were your impressions of, of Vegas? I mean, like, how are you feeling about it overall? Yeah, so it was one of those places that uh, I never had a huge 
drive to visit just because I, I, I mean, I'm not really into, I guess, like clubbing and gambling and, right you know, on. all the stuff that's associated with Vegas. That's why you're you in know. the bed doing a podcast here. This, that's right. That's right. <laughs> so, uh, so actually, um, I, I got invited to a panel a few months ago by Michelle Seven. She was like, hey, can you come speak at this conference? And... I was like, oh, I don't know that I'll be able to make it because I'll be moving across the country at that time. I just moved from Pensacola to San Diego four days ago. Um, so I th- this last week was spent driving the whole time, and I was like, I don't know that I'll be able to make it. But the week before I drove out, I found I just got hired at Airbits as their community manager. and We love Airbits on the show. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. It's an it's an amazing team of people. I, yes. I I don't know how I wound up on the team, but I'm super stoked. Yeah, it is. It's cool. <laughs> Certainly makes if anybody needs a vote of confidence for Airbits. I mean, the fact that MK and of course uh, Will Pangman also yes. joined you. Yes. I mean, these are the right people to have in that space. So absolutely, yeah. Uh, keep thank you, thank you. So uh, so uh, Paul was like, yeah, we're gonna drive over to Bitcoin Investor, and I had met the organizer a few weeks ago when I was up in San Diego. And, um, and he was like, yeah, you know, you should come out and stuff. So I was like, okay, maybe we'll see. But we were all going to drive over. So we ended up driving over. And um, I didn't get to be on the panel that Michelle invited me to. But I did get to be on the Bitcoin business panel, which Stephanie moderated. And then I got to do a surprise like Bitcoin group live, which was really fun. Uh, so yeah, so um, I moved to actually Chula Vista Four days ago, I mean, I don't, I'm not even unpacked. I came straight it's like here. That. That, yes, that, that's how much Bitcoin means to you. <laughs> that is, that is. I love it. I love it. And um, you know, I met Steve a few weeks before. I was like, you know, this is, he, he was that's a really Stephen great Michaels guy. Who Stephen put Michaels. This all together. Yeah. Yes. Great guy. Great guy. Great guy, and uh, and so I wasn't sure what to think because I was like, okay, a Bitcoin conference in Vegas. This could be like really wild, or this could be, you know, I wasn't sure what to expect. So I came, and I was like, wow, I feel at home. Like it's a bunch of radicals here. It was awesome. <laughs> of course, Stephanie so and I fun. are here, right? You guys were here, and and a bunch of other awesome, awesome Bitcoiners, and uh, it was amazing. There was such a good diversity of panelists and speakers, and it's it's just been an amazing amazing time i've i've had a super awesome time yeah agreed uh i mean stephanie i i'd I'd love to get your take on bitcoin investor what have you thought about it overall of course Stephen michaels reached out to us and uh you know asked us to speak at it yeah i'm really glad he did Um, yeah yeah, he's just a like you want to talk about a guy who is so like he is so philosophically on board he so much cares about this space in fact there is a point just real quick, and then I'll give, and give you know you can give your take, and I'll give a fuller take on myself. But there was a point where he was talking about Ross Ulbricht, and he was just saying something like, "I hope Ross has some kind of brain wallet or whatever," and he was choking up. He was, yeah. Like that's yeah. how much he gives a shit about this, yeah. uh, you know, this technology yeah. and this space, and that's really, you know, that's really amazing. It says it really might say everything that needs to be said about the event, but. I do. I want to hear your take. You gave a Bitcoin 101 talk. Uh, you you uh, ended up moderating a panel. You ended up being on a panel. I was I mean, on a, a few of them. A lot of surprises. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm always glad that you're on these things because you are, in my opinion, the one of you know the major philosophical voices in Bitcoin. Some other people get the credit, but I don't know that it's that well deserved. You deserve it. Uh, so <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Oh, wow, there thanks. you go. Femke says that it's true. Right? <laughs> 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 Aww, that's, <laughs> I think right. that's a fact. So, uh, but, but I mean, yeah, what was your take of the event overall? Well, I mean, it actually kind of like restored my excitement about Bitcoin. Yeah. Like, 
I had been feeling, honestly, if I'm completely honest, I had been feeling quite depressed about Bitcoin in the last few years. Like, just nothing to look forward to. It wasn't getting more exciting. It was getting less exciting to me. Mm -hmm. Um, The stuff that excited me about Bitcoin in the beginning when I found out about it like four years ago was um, just not being highlighted, like the permissionless aspects of using Bitcoin and Mm -hmm. um, valuing of privacy. Like, I just didn't see people sharing my reality about those things in the Bitcoin world. And it seemed like there were also a lot of people who were just saying, yeah, yeah, like the libertarians need to shut up, even though they were like the early adopters and they they were the ones who like actually got this going. Like, we'll take over from here. We're going to be making the money and like sucking the government regulators dicks Mm -hmm. and kissing their boots. Yeah. So, yeah, like that was pretty demoralizing and I was just not feeling excited about Bitcoin, not really motivated to like do a lot of interviews for let's talk Bitcoin or like Bitcoin projects. So it was, it was looking bleak for a while and I just didn't see it like getting any better. And now I, I really feel like there's a glimmer of hope. Like there's still this community that's alive and there's still, there's still people who do actually uh, share the, the valuing of the things that I value. So that's like really important to me. Absolutely. And it's really exciting. So, um, yeah, I'm just going to try to hold on to that energy and I'm going to try to, um, yeah, just remember the things that excited me about Bitcoin from the very beginning and, and hold on to them. And it was, yeah. you know, it was impressive at, at your Bitcoin 101 talk. There were people there who you just convinced them to get their own wallet and you showed them the goods uh, and I think it's so important to keep having Bitcoin 101 talks. I think some people yes. might be thinking, oh, you know, well, come on, everybody, or especially, you know, in the, the more anarchist or libertarian bent, whatever you know phrase you want to go with, um, you know, that they already got it. There's no need for this. But I, I keep saying that no way, like these basics, like the wallets that you want to use, the services you want to get started off with, these things change over time. Yeah. Uh, so let me tell you, like, for the listeners, yeah. <clears throat> what... What did I actually talk about? Well, it was that the title of my talk was Bitcoin 101, but it's basically what is Bitcoin? What are the basics of Bitcoin? Why are the why are those important? And how do you actually use Bitcoin in the real world? So it was things like, you know, what's the blockchain? Why is that new and different? Um, What is Bitcoin and what is Bitcoin not? Um, how do you send and receive Bitcoin? What Bitcoin wallet do you use? How do you get Bitcoins for the first time? Right. Things like that, like questions that everybody pretty much has. But when we go to these conferences, there's like so much theoretical that nobody mm-hmm. really talks about the practical. And so I was wanting to do that. And I was wanting to do it in a way that was really simple and easy to understand. And like, I feel like even if you know a lot about Bitcoin and if you've been using it for a while, it can be really helpful and refreshing to get back to the basics and to hear about it from a newbie's perspective because you might think of things that you didn't think about before or think about things in a new way or you might like have a question answered that was like kind of a black box in your mind that you never really understood right right like mm-hmm. That definitely happened to me like when I was working on this audiobook that I did, the book of Satoshi, um, which has all of Satoshi Nakamoto's writings. Um, I read about uh, hashing and like how mining, how Bitcoin mining actually works in detail. And I didn't know it before. Like I didn't know about, I'd heard people say things like hashing is like, um, it's like a lottery 
ticket and right. you're trying to pick a number between one and a million that starts with like a certain number of zeros and like the more zeros you need to have at the beginning of the number the more difficult it is and like that's how bitcoin mining difficulty works but i just never understood that before but once i did it made complete sense and it like totally clicked into place so yeah. things like that there's there's things even like seasoned bitcoin people maybe like just never got or never asked about and when you hear like these really basic talks sometimes those things just click into place and so yeah. i think it was really helpful i got i'm so pleased with like the feedback i got like a lot of people really enjoyed it and um you know i was always worried like is it going to be too basic are people going to get bored um is it going to be too advanced am i going to lose some people who just don't have a clue what bitcoin is is it going to be over their heads but no, like I got really great feedback and that. Yeah, I don't think any requested... of those fears were in reality. Like, I mean, none of them yeah. came to fruition whatsoever. Uh, people were engaged, yeah. and there were people that needed to hear what you were saying. Uh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I, I did throw my my talk. If you want to see my talk, if you're listening to this podcast, I did throw it up on my voiceover website at smvoice.info/bitcoin-investor. So you can download my presentation there. And I mean, I consider it open source, so. If you want to like rip it off or change yeah, it, and you use dice it, it up. Else, great, you know, um, that, that is okay with yeah, me. I, it'd yeah. be nice if you tell me about it, and it'd be <laughs> even nicer if you send me a Bitcoin tip, which there is a way to do that on the page. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. But yeah, feel free to do that. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, there were some newbies at this event. I got to set up someone with the Airbits wallet, and they were very excited about it. And um, I went through a similar period where you were saying earlier about being really disillusioned with Bitcoin. We so, talked about. It yeah. at Forkfest, remember last we year? We did, yeah, yeah, we did. Like, I mean, I almost got to the point where I wanted to completely quit the space and right. just completely move out of it. So, last year, actually, about a year ago, was when I was wrapping up Coins, Coins in the Kingdom, which was the second Bitcoin conference I organized, and I had done one right before it. So, I did two back to back, which is a bad idea. So, yeah. I, I had only just spoken at conferences before that. So, this gave me an opportunity to be an opportunity to be on the other side of things, which is really interesting. I mean, you really get to see, seeing how it all fits together and how it operates is really fascinating. And especially the first one I did, Bitcoin in the Beltway, I was just kind of thrown into it. Like I was told that I was an organize, I was the only organizer like a month and a half before the conference. Wow. And it was just like, you know, I was like, <laughs> okay, I guess, I, I guess we got to make this work. So like I jumped into it, I took initiative and jumped into it. And then, um, you know, after that was wrapped up, went straight to Porkfest, then um, got back from Porkfest. And like, I think it was only like a week later and uh, Jason was like, hey, do you want to do another one? And I was like... Yeah, sure, because I'm a crazy person. But <laughs> <laughs> so, so I tried it, and after that, I I was pretty burnt out, um, and I was concerned with the direction the space was heading in because, like you said, there were a lot of people coming in who were looking to kind of get rich quick, or they were running these kind of scams, and there still is that element. There, there's scammy elements to anything you do, right? You know. Um, but it, it was really disillusioning to me, and I kind of went through a long period of um, disillusionment and depression. I just got really burnt out, 
and I, I pulled back a little bit. I had started doing an interview show uh, called Crypto Convos, and I had some really good guests on there. And Myself included. Yes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Stephanie. And, and Stephanie, both of you guys were on there, and yeah. and they were. It was it was really fun. I, I love being on the inter- interviewer side of things. And it, it was a really fun show uh, for a while, but like my my personal life kind of fell apart during that time. But but I just was kind of like I don't know like where is this heading? Is this actually as revolutionary as I thought it was? You know who are all these scammers coming in this space? Like it, I, I was really bummed out, yeah. and I was actually I stopped the show and I you know taken kind of a leave of absence from a lot of things. I just kind of like. Uh, it became a little bit reclusive, and I was considering just like you know maybe I don't need to do Bitcoin stuff at all. Right. Um, but like I just could never stop thinking about it. You know, I could never stop thinking about the potential of it. And then um, I went through a divorce recently, and uh, that's kind of like a, a side note. But um, after that kind of happened, and I got back from Pork Fest, um, Paul Pui of Airbits uh, had sent me an email, and he was like, "Hey, I'm looking for people to." fill these positions and then I got a call from Will Payman and he was like hey you should you should apply for Airbits like you know you should check this out and Airbits is one of those organizations that I always had a good feeling about I looked into the team was solid and the the wallet was solid and you know everything about it I agree with Paul Pooley's a great guy I mean he's just rock solid yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and um, and they they held on to those ideals right. that I found so valuable in Bitcoin that got me interested in Bitcoin in the first place. Um, so I was really happy to kind of jump back into it because for a while I, I really was considering completely dropping out and like maybe this Bitcoin thing isn't what I thought it was. Yeah. Maybe it's just you know something else, and I just need to move on to totally different things but I, I'm glad I stuck with it and um and like you were saying this conference kind of reinvigorated me like it, it made me feel better about the space and uh it brought so many um interesting people together and uh it's, it's been an awesome time yeah absolutely uh, I agree it definitely in a lot of ways reinvigorated me I mean this was this is about in my opinion as close to a rock show as you could get for you know the, the the guests that were here you know for a Bitcoin conference as you could get I mean these it was just real headliners really philosophically inclined some people that were, were interesting and maybe we'll get into that uh, there were kind of wild cards I guess I'll say well uh, Stephen Stephen like really knows the space you know oh, yeah we've yeah. talked about this before where there's there's been people who like I think they see like an opportunity to capitalize they're like oh, I see there's a bunch of Bitcoin conferences going on. I could do a Bitcoin conference and make a bunch of money. And so they then they just, like, get people who email them and, like, hey, let me speak. And they don't know that that person is, like, just a company that's trying to, like, promote their own business. And, yeah. you know. Right. Uh, or they don't know that that person hasn't really, like, done anything in the space or whatever. So they're like, yeah, okay, you can speak. And, like, so then the, the lineup of speakers just ends up being this, like, hodgepodge or, like, mishmash of, people who are like vaguely connected to the Bitcoin world, but like there's not really a solid theme or anything, but Steven did a really good job curating people because he actually knows them and he knows what they're about and what their projects are. Like he was able to introduce every person, every speaker there personally and be able to tell like anecdotes about them and um, talk about their projects in detail. And, and yeah, like he knew exactly what everybody was doing. So I just, I really appreciated his, um, how like 
in touch and aware he was of all the speakers and why they were being asked to speak. And the interesting thing, I thought, this was kind of an overall tone that made it so unique for an event, was that, and, and if you guys feel differently or you can cooperate, it, feel free, um, was that everybody seemed to be not talking about, oh, when is this Bitcoin price going to go up and all that. In fact, some of the, the people making predictions here were saying it wasn't going to really go up that high. It wasn't going to do the skyrocket jump. Uh, the, the gist was, the message here was, is how do we get more people using it? How do we use it? What do we do with it? Mm-hmm. Not concerned about yeah. the monetary value. You know, it's already, I mean, it's already worth plenty. It's doing over, I mean, and it was nice that, that Bitcoin's on a little bit of a rally, perhaps due to China and some other things right now. I mean, when you're holding always a Bitcoin China. event. It's always it's China. It's always China. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's, it's nice, you know, when that's happening because that kind of puts Bitcoin in, in the news. And so what's happening in Bitcoin? Well, Bitcoin Investor Conference is happening. But I loved the tone that it was about what can we do with Bitcoin, not about, okay, oh, yeah, just do this, invest at this point, and yada, yada, get into yeah. it now, and all this crap. That message really wasn't there. If anybody yeah. was telling you to get into Bitcoin, they were just saying it. That way you have actual money. It was yeah. as far superior. It was the focus on the long term and building up the community and building up um, the user base and usability of Bitcoin. Yeah. And, it, like, it was really a long view at, instead of, like, a like well how can i just make money and like fuck what happens to the future of bitcoin like some of the other conferences right right and that that was a a theme that i did kind of start seeing with some of the conferences and it was a theme that really bothered me because when you saw the ramp up in price you saw a bunch of opportunistic people come in and people who were just focused on the price and like how can i make money doing this and it's like yes there are a lot of people who made a lot of money on bitcoin and, and that's great you know nothing wrong with that but um, the people who kind of came in at the end of the price surge, do they did they have those kind of ideological principles in mind? Yeah. Not really so much. Like not. I mean, when I say ideological principles, I mean the the roots of Bitcoin. Yeah. What Bitcoin was based on. Based on freedom. On freedom. Yeah. On on autonomy, like all of all of these great things, and, and not so much. And what I like, I mean, so a lot of people were concerned with the price. I, I had organized these conferences as the price was trending downwards, which affected attendance. And it has affected attendance, you know, throughout this whole time, even up until now, as the price is starting to move up again. And right. more interest is kind of being generated. Um, but um, but even so, the the conference attendance has kind of suffered because of that. But that's okay because what that did is it shook off a lot of the fair weather Bitcoiners or people yeah. who just kind of jumped into it because they wanted to make money. Absolutely. And who stuck with it were the diehards, like the ideological I, purists, you know, whatever term you want to use. Sure. People who um, were excited about it when it was like $1 to $10. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and the people who also, we, we talked about this, I, I did two panels back to back, and they were they were both very education focused. Like you are saying, Stephanie, um, the focus was on the long term and on educating people about it. And that's where the focus needs to be, because a lot of us who are familiar with the technology can see decades into the future like what this can bring to humanity right as a you know as far as freedom and and all these things that we love um but we're not quite there with the culture yet so the the culture is lagging a bit behind the technology technology always moves faster than uh culture um so 
but but what, that's what I really liked is that there was that kind of awareness about that and the ability to think long term and a lot of you know people who've been in this for a long time and they're in it for the long haul too right like the price does matter because that generates interest but um you know it you got to hold on to that ride you, you got to hold yeah. on to that ride yeah. it and it's good that there's insane. been a correction it's good that like you know things kind of you know trended down for a while and i like stability like a, you know i said this on one of the panels i was on the the fact that the price has stabilized a little bit right. in the past several months has been a good thing because people are afraid of volatility. Your average person, if they look at an investment that's going up and down rapidly, they're going to be afraid of it. They're not going to want to put their money towards that. So, and I think people have the same perception of Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, Actually, it was interesting that, I mean, uh, a couple of the uh, analysts here uh, talked about something that I have mentioned on Sovereign Tech many times, which is there was the Willy bot. And people were saying that, oh yeah, the, you know that whole fourteen hundred dollar rise was a farce, like that wasn't real. That the actual you know liquidity and, and money put into it, uh, just just what you know that that couldn't really be. And so it was comforting to hear that to get the sense of uh, you know to, for people to be realistic about these things and for yeah. it not to be so much of a sales pitch, uh, but just more of like like you're saying, MK, an educational pitch. Uh, all of this I thought made just made for a great. Uh, conference. And you know, go ahead. The, the one beef I have is with the name. I think the name of this conference was really misleading. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that same thing. <laughs> because it wasn't about investing, it was about the Bitcoin community and education and the long term, the technology and the future and like freedom in Bitcoin. It was about like almost anything but investing. And I think maybe the idea that they had was like to try to get some of the investor types in the door right. and put the prince, yeah. put the other stuff in front of them. But I don't think that really worked. <laughs> like I think it was, I think it was like mostly people who were already kind of libertarian who came, mm-hmm. at least like a, at least like leaning that way. Um, so yeah, well, I would. But s- it's it's like a catchy headline, right? That kind of hooks you. And I think maybe that, I, I understand what you're saying, but yeah. I think, but I mean, maybe this is something, you know, one of the things with any conference is that, you know, even if, I mean, and the attendance here was great, but yeah. even if you don't have great attendance, you know, the main thing is make the talks, get the videos out there on YouTube or Vimeo or whatever, mm-hmm. and then it, it lasts forever and people can constantly reference it. Mm, and so I could see, true. you know, in SEO terms, even though, you know, I'm not big on SEO, uh, people type, type in investing in Bitcoin. If Bitcoin investor stuff comes up, that's kind of a win. But I agree. Like, is, is it sort of a misleading name? Yeah, I think it could be. I mean, there was certainly yeah. some talk about it. There was the guy that did uh, Arbitrage. He was like one of the last talks. He was great. That was, was Joe that. Salerno. Yeah, Dr. Not Joe Salerno. Not to be confused with Mises Joe Salerno. No, no, no. philosophy no. professor yeah. Joe Salerno. <laughs> yeah, this guy, I mean, just really, like, like he was solid talking. Yeah, he was talking there. about how to do arbitrage. That was really yeah. helpful. Tone Vase was talking, and he always talks about the price. He's like a professional trader. And, yeah, he talked about Bitcoin trading. And, like, he went through a whole history lesson. This was really cool, actually. Yeah, he even talked yeah. about ancient Rome. His yeah. presentation was really good. Yeah. yeah, it was like not only the history of like bubbles, various bubbles throughout history, including the population of Rome. Who would have 
who would have thought of that right yeah but also like the price history of bitcoin and how it got from like zero to where it is today um and yeah i thought that was like really helpful and along with some political commentary and stuff like that mm-hmm. yeah um yeah, so I mean, I don't MK. Know where I was going with that? That's but. right, MK. Like, what did you think about the the title of the of the conference, Bitcoin Investor? You you said you had a similar feeling that maybe it was a little, maybe not misleading, but at least uh, maybe not not the best name that they could have used. Well, when Michelle first approached me to be on a panel, it was about like a gold and Bitcoin panel. So okay. I kind of come from the precious metal mm. side of things. I worked at Roberts and Roberts, which is a precious metals brokerage Great for people. almost four years. Oh, yeah. 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 Tim, Tim is awesome. Yes, he um, is. So, um, so I, I, I did that for a while and I actually got my start in Bitcoin from that side of things. I was a skeptic at first, um, right. but then I ended up coming around to it. And Michelle approached me to do this panel, and I was kind of like, "Well, I'm not, I'm not keen on the title because when I think investor, I think like VCs and and you know people who are just in this for like how can I make money right now? Right. And and that's not to say all VCs have that mentality because they don't. And you know that, that's an important part of the um, community right now. Sure. Um, but but yeah, I kind of was like, oh well, it is you know I I don't know, and I'm kind of like leaving that field, and I, and I wasn't sure if I was going to even be able to attend, and I, I was a little bit turned off by the title of it. Right. Um. But I I met Steve in person um, when I was in San Diego a few weeks ago, and I uh, you know I was like, man, he's a solid guy, and I didn't realize how I mean he was he's very libertarian. He had a lot of radicals at this conference. Yeah. He even got Nick Zavo to come out. And, yeah. and Michelle helped with that too, and that was uh, that was amazing. I mean, and and even um, Dr. Wright too. On yeah, uh, Curtis Wright is that his name? Uh, Something along those lines. See, it's Craig. Craig Wright. Craig Wright. Craig Wright. Craig Wright. Craig Wright. Craig Wright. So uh, and Michelle Seven helped you know bring some of these luminaries into this conference and it was a small conference which, but it had some powerhouse people oh yeah which is interesting because both sabo yeah sabo and wright are two of the top contenders for people thinking that they are satoshi nakamoto yes uh yes. either one of those guys so they have both of them and and in fact like the the pan they were on this big heavy hitter panel uh and they they sort of argued with each other a little bit. It was, yeah, there was a healthy discussion about it, and it very about healthy, like yeah. who is Satoshi. I I don't care who Doesn't Satoshi matter. is. I mean, right. I I think Satoshi had the right idea in like stepping back because then they're not a target, and like the technology can just be on its own without mm-hmm. like a guru at the head of it. And yeah, I just really respect what Satoshi did, and I don't want to like put heat on anyone. Like I know especially. Nick Sabo is like super self-conscious about that. Like, I actually don't think he's Satoshi, but I mean, it doesn't matter, right? Like, Respect whoever Satoshi, privacy, right? yeah, yeah, like whoever Satoshi is, they want to be left alone. So I will leave them alone and not even try to guess who it is, well, um, and just thank them for the gift that they gave the world. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I think you know one of the best speakers here, someone who I hope to have on Sovereign Tech in the future, uh, Paul Rosenberg, who wrote uh, The Lodge of Wayfaring Men. He gave, yeah. I mean, just a fiery talk. It was so good. I mean, it was yes. passionate, had all the right stuff to say. And he made a great point about Satoshi. He said the best thing Satoshi did was he just got out of the way. Yep. He just ran off, and I was like, you know, or however you want to phrase that. And I agree. That is wonderful. You don't want a Zuckerberg in charge. Of this. You don't want anybody in charge of your technology. 
You just want to let them <laughs> let it go. You know, let it do its yeah. own thing and let people build on it. In fact, that was yeah. in Paul Rosenberg's talk. He had this slide of like, um, what was it? He had like a like a what do we want to be? And then he had like on one side of the mask and on the other side, he had like a picture of Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, what do you yeah. want Bitcoin to be? Yeah. yeah well, really humility good. can be such an underrated thing. Yeah. And when, when you read the white paper and you see what came of the creation of Bitcoin, you see that kind of, you know, Satoshi's detachment, you know, physically anyway. I mean, I, I think there are some clear, ideological leanings you know from from the core concepts of bitcoin but uh you see that kind of humility you see that it's like this is someone who wants to liberate people and they're putting out this technology and it can't be stopped now but they're not coming at the forefront taking credit for it they're not saying you know me 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 look at me look at how awesome i am i'm i'm satoshi nakamoto or whatever right um they they just put it out there and let it grow and whether satoshi is one person or multiple people it doesn't matter and what i liked about this conference is if you looked at your name tags all of the name tags (laughs) on the back said satoshi nakamoto so the speakers had like you know it said you know MK Lords on my name tag, and then on the back it said Satoshi Nakamoto, and that is exactly what Satoshi wanted. Yeah. Right. We're all Satoshi. We're all when, Satoshi. Whenever people ask like who is Satoshi, the answer should be like we are. Like yeah. we're all Satoshi. Yeah, it's very and much a Spartacus situation. I am abs- Spartacus. I was, yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm Spartacus. I'm exactly. Satoshi. I'm Satoshi. And Steve did such a good job of bringing um, you know people, all, all of these people together who do believe in those kind of first principles of Bitcoin. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I do want to get, we'll get into some other topics perhaps. Uh, This won't be all Bitcoin, but I think there's still a lot to say about this event that I think people would be very interested in hearing about. Uh, If you hear sounds in the background, sirens and all this stuff, we are in Las Vegas. (laughs) This is is what happens. Uh, What happens in Vegas gets recorded. Yeah, there's a party. (laughs) I mean, there is a party going on outside these windows. Oh, my uh, gosh. And it goes to like 1 a.m. and it it just doesn't stop. (laughs) And we supposedly got the quiet room, too. Yeah, we exactly. Nice. Anyway. <laughs> but, uh, it's not going to be quiet after we're done with it. Right? Yeah, 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 oh, oh my gosh, can I tell the story about how you thought it was Journey? Yeah, oh, yeah, go, go ahead and tell the story. Yeah, so MK hasn't heard this, I don't think. Yet. Oh boy. So we, get, we check in, we get to the casino on the first night we're here. And it's like, it's pretty late. We got like flight delayed and we were also on East Coast time and it's Pacific time here. So it's like three hours earlier than we feel like it is. So we felt Uh like it was like two in the morning, even though it was really like 10 or 11 o'clock at night. And so we're checking in and we hear this music coming from outside and we like walk over to it and we're like, oh, what's that? And like, there's, there's a band playing outside and there's a crowd of people and we're hearing like. Separate Don't ways. Stop. Oh no! No, no, no. separate ways. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. So we're hearing this song. The, the best journey song, by the way. Go ahead. <laughs> In your opinion? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, it's fact. Okay. Objective fact. So Brian's like, I think that's really journey, and he like walks, and he's like drawn to it like a moth to a flame, and he's like walking outside, and then he sees the guy, and then like suddenly the guy switches and he starts singing Bon Jovi, and he's like, I guess it's not journey. <laughs> Wait, what was that on? Um, 
Yeah, the street right The street outside, outside Fremont Street. Fremont Street. Yeah. I think I was there for that, actually. <laughs> I might have been on the street because I had wandered down there with, with Thomas Hunt, who does Mad Bitcoins in the Bitcoin group. Yeah. And, and, and the Airbits folks, too. Like, we all wandered down um, to kind of hang out there. It's like old Vegas, is what I was told. So I was wandering there. And, like, yeah, they were playing, like, a bunch of Bon Jovi stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, I was actually... just like, wow. And even, like, the little, um, there we were, like, in this kind of tube, like, in Fremont Street, like, has this like cool like LED display yeah. over the top of it. It's like a ceiling. So it felt like daylight, but it was like, you know, way late in the night. Mm. And yeah, they had like Bon Jovi videos. <laughs> it's like, I just remember like there being a lot of Bon Jovi. I was like, all right. Yeah, so I mean, the like music was Vegas. great. Yeah, I, mean, I, mean, I could totally, de- I love Bon Jovi, but, uh, <laughs> you know, a lot of the music was good, but boy, sometimes we were trying to get a little bit of rest, like before 1 a.m. I mean, yeah. you, just, you could really hear it. So it was something else. Um, but, you know, I want to get back to uh, uh, talking you know, a little bit about Bitcoin here. We'll get back into the conference in a second. But first off, uh, I want to talk about uh, the Blockchain Alliance, or as I kept calling it on Sovereign Tech last week, the Blockchain Empire. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, I want to get your ladies' take. I don't need to say anything more. Last week, if you want to hear that episode, I mean, I pretty much, uh, you know, had oh. to take a throat lozenge. After I was uh, done screaming about it, but uh, but you know, MK, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this whole blockchain alliance thing that will tie it into Bitcoin Investor here. So the blockchain alliance thing is kind of interesting. Um, well, there are various alliances being made in Bitcoin right now, and right. there there deals. there's this very um, vocal segment that wants to work with regulators and make Bitcoin kind of safe and friendly for banks and legacy systems, which goes completely counter to why Bitcoin was created. And I think this is clear, even just reading the white paper, I I think this is pretty clear that Bitcoin is not something that's meant to play nice with legacy systems. It's not something... I, I don't even really see the incentive for banks to take on this technology or right. governments, especially governments, to take on this technology because it provide you know, it, it does kind of it, it provides this honest ledger of Yeah, activity. well and it, it's a technology that was designed to get rid of middlemen. And right. governments and banks are just that. They're the middlemen. Yeah. yeah, they they're the middlemen. So so blockchain alliance comes out of this narrative that I've been hearing a lot of lately, which is it, it sounds something like this. I don't like Bitcoin, but I like blockchain technology. <laughs> and it's so it's it's cringe inducing for right. me and a lot of people who've been in Bitcoin for a while because first of all, it's not saying anything. Right, yeah. because like yeah. blockchain, it's the same thing. Bitcoin, I, at least for me, it is. Bitcoin and blockchain tech are, are the same thing. And um, this is actually something I, I kind of realized a, a little more recently. You were talking about hash rates earlier, and this is why Bitcoin is kind of the the leader in this whole blockchain, this larger blockchain discussion, is because it is the most secure network. It has the biggest hash rate. It, it's um, you can have banks using this underlying technology that, that they call the blockchain. Um, it, it's great for record keeping and all of these things. But 
they don't want to use it in a public way. Right. You know, they don't be, because that would require transparency. And there's not a whole lot of incentives right now for banks or governments to be honest and transparent. So I don't really see how that kind of works in. And then if you're trying to do private blockchains, they're probably going to be less secure. And I mean, yeah, they don't that kind of like effect. they yeah. don't have the network effect. And and also it's like okay, so you're trying to so you know you're trying to hide things anyway too like it's some it's, so it's kind of interesting and it's kind of um i don't want to be too conspiratorial but it sounds like a narrative that's perfectly constructed kind of by the banks and by the to wall street out, crowd to, to strip out all the good features from bitcoin all the yes. permissionless aspects and just take the safest thing that can be adapted conveniently to fit centralized systems which is the blockchain aspect, which, yeah, the blockchain is something new and different, and it's like solving a problem that wasn't solved before with proof of work and with the time stamping aspect yeah. and the, of the blockchain and how to create a trustless system and the Byzantine general problem. Right. But, um, yeah, like saying, well, I don't like Bitcoin, but I like blockchain technology just really shows a lot of ignorance, you know, it's mm-hmm. and, and a disrespect for all these other amazing features of Bitcoin, which are fundamentally part of it and were meant to be part of it and weren't Mm -hmm. meant to be isolated from this idea of a blockchain. And it's almost like, yeah, like people who corrupt, like I'm having trouble thinking of examples right now, but people who like corrupt a message or like twist something around, like who say like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm into peaceful parenting, but then they like actually yell at their children a lot. And Mm -hmm. just because they don't, don't spank them and they like breastfeed a little longer they're like oh yeah i love peaceful parenting yeah they, they totally think they're important. just not you know? hitting them as peaceful parenting yeah right when there's like so much more to it than that sure. <laughs> yeah yeah and this is something that uh i, I wanted to write uh, a blog post about I've, I've been busy moving and stuff but eric Voorhees actually kind of covered this well so it's like okay you know he already said you know what needed to be said about it so i would recommend uh checking out his recent article but yeah, the Bitcoin and blockchain thing, it, it's not saying a lot. And so I didn't get into Bitcoin because I thought it could bolster legacy systems. I got into it because I thought it could break them. Right. So and I think that's why a lot of people are into it. And actually, uh, there's a tweet. I ha- I'll have to look it up. But Andreas is kind of in the same kind of camp. Like, mm. and, and there are all these analogies you can make to it. Like, oh, well, you know, like, I don't like... Uh, I mean, it's similar to the internet in, in the 90s, kind of. Like, I think he said, um, I think his tweet was something along the lines of, like, I don't know about this internet thing. The intranets is where it's at or something <laughs> like that. And that's kind of that's kind of interesting. You know, it's an interesting uh, parallel there. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, Stephanie, I mean, what did you, you know, so, so obviously MK, I'm getting the gist. Blockchain Alliance, terrible idea. Like, this is crazy to be talking to legacy systems that Bitcoin is trying, you know, should wipe out. Yeah, these are people who are, which is understandable. A lot of people are still stuck in this mindset of like, we need to kind of take things slowly and stuff like that. And so with Bitcoin, it draws a bunch of idealistic people who are like, we're thinking decades and, you know, even maybe possibly centuries into the future. We're like, this can do so many things for society now. Like this technology exists. But we're still stuck in the larger cultural sphere that 
takes longer to change and people are comfortable with legacy systems they're comfortable mm. like the idea of like apple pay or like google wallet or something like that that's comfortable to them yeah there's a even name that they credit cards yeah. Yeah. right yeah. right yeah yeah absolutely so stephanie i mean what do you what do you think oh my god life? didn't they ever see that fucking video don't ever talk to the police that yes! video. oh my god so true that's why that video has stood the test of time it's been around for like 10 years and yes. it's, it's so popular because it's so fucking true there is just nothing good that can ever come you think it can but it just can't like yeah. when are people gonna learn that lesson don't ever 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 talk to the cops unless you have to yes. unless they're forcing you to unless like if you if it's possible to get away from that situation like get yourself out of it as soon as possible don't invite them in for a cup of tea <laughs> because they'll search your house and they'll take advantage of you and the, you know and they'll the, take your tea yeah they'll, they'll take your tea and shoot your dog and you know all yeah. kinds of there's just nothing good that can possibly come out of it and i mean it's just a far like we saw what happened with we've already seen this play out Charlie Shrem yeah. was the proprietor of BitInstant, the CEO, and he thought he had it all figured out. Yeah, I mean, he played ball. He was a young kid. He tried to become friends with Ben Losky and all the regulators in New York. Mm -hmm. He wanted to cozy up to them, and he was actually trying to get on their committees. He was giving them talks about Bitcoin. He was uh, trying to really buddy up with them, and they ended up biting him on the ass, and now he's in jail for two years in his 20s. And, for nonsense. And for he's nonsense. He's like 26 years old. He's like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just incredible to think like this is someone who had such a revolutionary idea. Bit instant. Was he had a vision. Awesome. He yeah, had yeah. a vision and, and he, he tried to play by all the right rules. You know, and you're taught that throughout your entire life. If you just play by the rules, you'll end up winning. And that's bullshit. That's yeah. complete <laughs> yes. fucking bullshit. Yeah. Um, and, and it's sad. It, it's so messed up what happened to him. I mean, it breaks my heart that he's in jail right now. Like, I, Yeah. Absolutely. It's really a travesty. And, and yeah, like, not even to mention Ross Ulbricht, who's probably going to yeah. have his entire life stolen from him. Yeah. Essentially a death sentence. For, for creating a website, allegedly. Um, yeah. Anyway, but yeah, like now I'm getting off track. But like, go, if you have any of these ideas in your head that you can somehow, for you it'll be different if you try to, if you just make friends with the right people, if you just get in, if you get in with people in positions of political power, then you'll be protected. No, it's just not so. And yeah. we've seen it so many times, and why don't people listen to that, really? Like, yeah, I, I don't want this group, the Blockchain Alliance, I don't want them representing me as a Bitcoin user, mm -hmm. you know? I don't want them giving information on me, although I'm sure they already are. They, yes, I know, Coinbase gives all your information to the government. It's true, it's just damn convenient, but yeah, they give all your... Nobody said privacy was, uh, was going to be convenient, you know? No, yeah. in fact, I'd argue that it can't be. It can't like, be, right. it to yeah, be done right. And this is the thing about any protection racket. I think you're raising a good point. Mm -hmm. And the nature of any protection racket is you become a slave. Yeah. If you buy into some kind of protection system, you um, you know, and, and you can't protect yourself, that's why you're buying into this protection system, you become a slave to that protection system, in my opinion. 
Uh, you've got to know this stuff for yourself. Mm. Uh, that's why I said, you know, yeah, like you said, privacy. I mean, it's not easy. It's not convenient. No. Uh, I, I mean, there, there's what, what's that uh, the old Ben Franklin saying, right? Uh, better uh, a dangerous liberty than a safe tyranny. Mm. I mean, it, it's, you know, unfortunately it comes from a guy who helped create a, a terrible document a couple hundred years ago. But it's true. You know, I mean, these things aren't meant to be easy. These things aren't meant to necessarily be safe. Mm. You know, there is no protection racket for you to run to, certainly not in mm-hmm. governments. No, mm-hmm. and these, these regulators and these law enforcement people and all these, all these people who are empowered, who have a significant power dynamic over you where there's a huge power disparity between them and a person who does not work for the government, they are holding the gun here. They are the one with the power to enforce force being the operative word, laws, and to make laws, they are not going to use that information to help people or to protect the innocent. They're going to use that information to better apply force and to hurt people with. And a lot of innocent people are going to be hurt in that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, the I, I'm hearing this from both ladies. Blockchain Alliance, this is a terrible idea. Yeah, we got high fives going around. <laughs> <laughs> Hell, yes. So... That's a solid high five. Yeah, yeah it was. <laughs> this is fantastic. So, I mean, just there it is, folks. I mean, we've got two of the smartest women on the planet right here. Uh, <laughs> Seriously. I love we didn't, it. We didn't talk about your talk, Brian. Well, we'll get to that. Okay. So, but talk this is the thing the is last week, you know, I, I went on my own little tirade about the Blockchain Alliance. I won't re- repeat it again. But the beautiful thing is that this event happened after that announcement mm-hmm. uh, because it needed to happen. Um, also, you know, another thing that happened, there is the, the infamous that Stephanie and I have talked about quite often, uh, the Inside Bitcoins conferences. Those have been renamed to Blockchain Agenda. I mean, this Yeah, is it's kind of a creepy name, isn't very it? I'm not name. a fan of it. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> MK just made a little uh, jerk off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's so nuts. And yeah, I get sick of that. You know, I agree with, uh, with both of you on this whole, like, blo- blockchain name thing. Uh, it becomes... So like it's I, almost I, like PC, like they're trying to be PC. They're trying to yeah. make something yeah. that's not so edgy. Like, oh yeah, blockchain technology is safe because that could be like, yeah, we can just put the government on a blockchain, or banks could use blockchains. There's Thanks. so many cool technologies, you know. Whereas bitcoins is like, ooh, that's edgy because it could potentially be about freedom, and we don't want that. Yeah, right. <laughs> we, we can't possibly have that. Well, yeah. So, so this is kind of the debate that kind of comes up in Bitcoin too like oh well this is this, it's this terrible thing because Bitcoin is associated with all these like bad bad markets and vice activities stuff like that and I think there's a little bit of an alternative marketing opportunity there like to kind of go with the edginess yeah, of it yeah, yeah. like and this is something Cody Wilson has done pretty successfully mm-hmm. um, with with Dark Wallet and some of his other projects is taking that edginess and taking that like niche weird under underdog mentality and just running with it and i i think that's you know i think there's something there there there's something worthy there like yeah yeah you can buy drugs with bitcoin like yeah you can do all this crazy (laughs) stuff with bitcoin you know whether or not i'm going to personally do that you know it is different but i i think there is something there uh that could be used and we do need all of those tactics involved yeah no i agree with that completely in fact i mean the theme song to sovereign tech is 
live like a supervillain. I mean, because, you know, when you live in a world where the state is considered the good guy, look, the state's not the good guy. Yeah. But in everybody's mind who loves the state, I mean, we're bad, we're, we're the bad guys. You know, and you can run with that kind of edginess. I think there's something to that kind of marketing, uh, but it's it's real. It's authentic, actually. You know, right? I mean, it's authentic. It, yeah, yeah, it's absolutely authentic. So nothing wrong with that. I think that's a that's a wonderful thing. But it was so great to have this conference, like I said, after both of those announcements. You know, be it the inside bitcoins, because there's a chance that this this uh, Bitcoin investor. Uh, uh, you know, conference could become a series of conferences. Yeah. Okay, and I think that'd be an exciting prospect. I th- I'd love for it to be very, a very profitable venture, a very educational venture, yeah. all of the above. And it needs to be because you have this crap like the Blockchain Alliance and the Blockchain Agenda and all this other nonsense. Uh, there needs to be that alternative voice, just like, uh, you know, many podcasts are alternatives to mainstream media and whatever else the case may be. Yeah. Uh, so you I want to go ahead. I'm going to change my. I'm going to do a little backstep on what I said about the name. I think you could almost look at the name of this conference as like, not like a day trader investing in Bitcoin and trying to get rich quick, but like investing in Bitcoin itself, investing energy yeah. and like investing yeah. into Bitcoin's future. It's beyond you know? money, right? Yeah, right. like not yeah. not buying Bitcoin to make a profit, but like investing time and energy into Bitcoin to help it grow and succeed long term. Absolutely. That's so, I, if I think about it like yeah. that, I love the name. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. No, that's a really good point. Yeah. And I think that's what Steve was aiming for yeah. with this conference yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. I think he had a more kind of macro view of the term and like kind of he's like we're gonna bring together all these different um and th- there was a huge variety of uh speakers and stuff so yeah which leads me into my next question is we can start with stephanie then we'll go to mk who was your of, of the the talks that you caught uh what was your favorite what was your favorite talk and maybe if you could briefly say why Oh, man. It's hard to say. Uh, I really enjoyed Paul Rosenberg's talk. Yeah. Um, just because, yeah, like, he's a good speaker, and he had a bunch of cool quotes, and, like, yeah, I just feel really in line with what he had to say. Um, he was even, like, okay, the test of a true, truly good speaker is, can they pull a quote out of the Bible and have me saying, like, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> like the biggest atheist in the world yeah, yeah. Um, and he did that he pulled it off yep, so i'm gonna I say agree. paul rosenberg takes my cake <laughs> yeah so and he had he had just had a lot of like his philosophy about bitcoin was right on yeah he brought a lot of history to the table uh because i mean he's been writing about this stuff he even mentioned like phytonet and all these things yeah which i just i mean i started like fist pumping when i yeah. when i heard that happen. I yeah. Like, yeah keep talking about it man you know he reminds me like he is one of the breed of like he reminds me of like robert a heinlein or something but like like yeah. more principled, you know, right. like those old school, like, like writers who like were using their imagination to write about freedom and like expressing that they really want this world and here's what it could look like. And maybe I could just show everyone what my vision is for the world and how beautiful freedom can be. And he's writing. Been, yeah, and he's been around to see technologies come and go. Yeah, he's, he's a seen, bit of an older guy, sure, you know, and yeah. he's like, yeah, he's just, but like people who have age have some experience and they've like seen a yeah. lot of history yeah. come and go and they just like really know what's up. So yeah, I really respected his talk. Absolutely. Uh, MK? Yes. So I can never pick one talk of yeah, these things. So I can never pick just one. So I have three. Okay. I always have it. lists of things. Um, so uh, so Paul Rosenberg, 
obviously like that was that was an excellent talk um he tied in so many things he tied in the philosophical aspects and he he kind of looked at a big picture too you know how, how do we grow up you know in in the bitcoin space right and and i i think that was super important um also uh, another one i really liked was tone bay's speech um and i'd actually seen him present something similar at crypto okay and uh his whole the, the bitcoin speculation speech was fascinating because that's a world that I had the hardest time wrapping my mind around, <laughs> like trading and stuff, and yeah, all that, and yeah. predict, pre, you know, predicting prices and, and stuff like that. It's fascinating. Lots of charts. Lots of charts. Yeah. He had so many charts, and it was so cool. He was like zooming into the charts and stuff. But he tied in the charts with history, which I, I love, love, love history. Absolutely. So, yeah. so he he made it all connect for me, and um, and he's just such a great speaker too. And actually. Not to suck up to the host, but I liked your talk too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Be- because, well, so you tied in the um, a kind of more you know broader concept too with virtual reality right. and how everything is trending towards this, right? Like all 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 technology is is kind of trending towards this, and I think um, you know Bitcoin too. And I also liked how you kind of challenged some of the. Uh, concepts that have come out of bitcoin like smart contracts and things like that which which i do think are a good solution to some disputes and some contract problems we have now because there are obvious problems with contracts most of them are one-sided um, you know the terms and conditions stuff, things like that. Yeah, so, we'll definitely get into this some more. Yeah, yeah, uh, we'll get into that some topic. more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so I really liked how you kind of pushed back a little bit um, against some of those things because um, I, I think in the Bitcoin space you see at least right now, although although it's kind of expanding. But still now you see a specific mode of thinking, like we should just be able to automate everything. Like there should be a program or a formula for everything, for all human activity, right. and it should just be automated. And while, while I can agree to, uh, you know, to, to an extent, to an extent mm-hmm. with some of that, um, it doesn't account for the whole of human experience and you know, mistakes and, you know, or not even mistakes, but uh, just how, how people make decisions and how inconsistent human nature is. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And I know, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big follower of your work and I know you're big on making sure there isn't an echo chamber. And so, yeah, I, I, I hope, and, and like I said, we'll get into this more. I, I hope that uh, at least to some degree I pushed back against there possibly being an echo chamber. Yeah. Uh, because there was a there was a, uh, a a panel the panel of heavyweights that we talked about where this whole smart contract thing was just effectively being laid out like well this is the future of humanity and all that and you know I just want to say no even though my you know there's there's certainly more in my talk as well um, but I appreciate you saying that I'm really honored that that you thought that that was a, that was a great talk that means a lot to me so you had a third one though. What, do you, what did you have for a third one? Was no, there... that was that was oh, the okay. third one. All right, yeah. Sorry. So we got yeah. So it's Paul Rosenberg tones and your oh, tones. Were and, like right, I was my three. top three. Okay. Yeah. All right. So 
Cool. All right. So now, did you have something, Stephanie? No, I'm just. I'm sure Brian's very happy to be credited. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I know oh, you're. Yeah. I know you're being honest, but you know, and yeah. you're not just picking them because he's sitting right there. No, no. Like, well, you said the, the echo chamber thing. So, like, whenever I feel like I'm in an echo chamber, I get this very like uncomfortable feeling where it's like I gotta push back. Like, I, I gotta it. do like something like <laughs> you know weird and crazy and like yeah. you know you know yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's like Mark Twain said, when you suddenly find yourself on the side of the majority, it's time to pause and reflect, you know? Yes, <laughs> like, step yes. Away. Yeah. Which, exactly. by the way, I think at this point, it's very appropriate to put in a plug for MK's talk at uh, the New York, what was it, Liberty Fest in yeah, I was, that we I listened to on the way to the trip, so it's even, like, ties in with this trip. Yeah, oh, I actually was going to put this thanks. in the show notes, uh, yeah. and I was going to mention it towards the end. Oh, was that there was one this of the great best, talk. best talks I've ever heard at talk, like a Liberty event. Oh my god, it thank so you. Good. Yeah, <laughs> That's really sweet. Uh, the link will be in the show notes for that. But if you want to hear a real like making sure there is no uh, echo chamber in Liberty, this is the talk to catch. Oh, uh, thank you. Yeah, seriously. So uh, Liberty Liberty Fest NYC. Maybe next year we can get to that, Stephanie. I know. I think you've we been invited it, in the we past. We went to it once. And Did we go? Yeah, with Katie. Oh, we went to Justice. that was Anarchy in the NY. I think that was that was a different. Oh, deal. it was. He yeah. changed the name of it. It may have okay. been the same organizer, Maybe. but I think he changed it for branding reasons or okay. something. All right. Yeah. So I mean. Oh, but, that uh, must have been why we stopped going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, also, it's a fucking pain in the ass to get to New York and to find a place to stay, and it's expensive. It's yeah. so expensive. Yes. Oh my god, and parking, and yeah, it's just. Yeah. There's a reason I don't pain. live in New York anymore. We're not so. going unless it's an anarchist event. Yeah, so as far as, you know, I, I, actually, MK, you, you made a, a great jumping off point for talking about this um, with, you know, with my talk. Uh, one of the things, so my talk overall, uh, you know, well, my favorite talk, I should say first, was probably Paul Rosenberg. And actually, Tone, uh, Tone Vase was, was fantastic as well. Um, I didn't get to catch Stephen Michaels. I didn't get to see his talk. I imagine that was phenomenal. Oh, yeah, he's a good speaker. Uh, yeah, you know. yeah. Same here. Yeah, and the one, though, that... Uh, well, I guess I'll talk about my talk a little bit. Uh, I did... It was called Life 4.0. Um, and then it had a really long title after that, and I can't think of it at the <laughs> moment. But anyway, but it was all about virtual reality and cryptocurrencies and existing in virtual reality. And I think this is a really exciting thing, and it's something I'm going to be talking about a lot more on Sovereign Tech. Um, just this notion of building virtual communities where you have programmed in, you know, total freedom, like the freedom that you want, and you can associate with your friends. Uh, like we we live far apart from each other. Well, I mean, you and I live together, Stephanie, but of course, uh, uh, you, you know, MK's out in California now. And so, but wouldn't it be so cool to be able to go into a virtual hangout of some kind, like a real virtual hangout where you can really interact, yeah, that would you know, be awesome, and have a good yeah. time? Yeah, and you know, and, and like even just just to hug somebody, whatever the case may be. Yeah. You know, oh, and like, MK gives the best hugs. Yeah, both of you are hugging each other. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I mean, so I, I don't know if a virtual one could compare to the real it'd thing. Be hard. Yeah, it would be hard. I agree. Yeah, I, hard. Yeah, I agree with you. But even just to like, to, you know, to, to to share somewhat of that experience, things like this, uh, I think could be really powerful. Mm -hmm. And I think cryptocurrencies empower uh, the 
making these virtual spaces more real because it allows for uh, it, you know exchange. It allows for trade to happen uh, in a much simpler you know fashion. And in fact, during the talk, I, I took my smartphone and I pulled out a credit card and I pulled out a dollar bill and I tried jamming them into the smartphone. Yes. <laughs> and, and it just you know I got a good chuckle out of the crowd and it's like yeah this just this doesn't work. Well, and, someone someone snarked up and said. Oh, you need a square to like do the credit card. Well, you see, but then, right, but then that defeats the purpose Smarked of it. up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but then that's why I was making the point that you you need these purchases to be anonymous. You need them to be private uh, because what if you know what if we're talking about you know liberty stuff? I mean, that's the point is getting together to talk about the you know one thing that kills me is the fact that people have Facebook groups talking about how to end the state, and it's like, are you kidding me? You're using the goddamn tool that's empowering yeah. the surveillance state, and this is how you're going to figure out how to end it. You know, g give me a break, okay? Not that anybody's saying anything violent, thankfully, nor do I support any kind of violence. But the point is, no. is you know, it's beneficial for us. We want a we want cryptocurrencies, meaning we want currencies that give us privacy and anonymity and all this. Uh, it makes sense to want you know, meeting spaces where the same, the criteria is the same, but to make those as real as possible. And there's, there's groups out there that are starting to do this where they are, you know, more or less the bulk of their lives and transactions that they're doing are all being done in a, in a digital space, in a virtual realm. And so I love the idea of making that as real as possible. And so that was a lot of my talk, but my point did come up because just before, um, my talk, there was a, a heavy hitter. I mean, Nick Sabo, uh, Craig Wright, uh, Edmund Roy. Edwin Moy. Edwin, Edwin, Edwin Moy. Who I, is the former director of the U.S. Mint. Oh, boy. I had to interview that, that was... guy. I, I, I reprised my role as a co-host on Free Talk Live for a night while I was here. And I had to interview that guy. And nice guy. And actually, He's very I'll, nice, yeah. I'll give him credit. He said that he recognized there were anarchists here. And he didn't, like, you know, uh, he didn't cringe. Yeah, yeah, he didn't recoil at all. Yeah, nice. exactly. Yeah, so... But he was on there, uh, like I said, Sabo, right? There was a, a couple others, uh, Trace Meyer or Mayer, whatever. Trace Meyer. Yeah, okay. And then and, and some others on there. And they were all talking about stuff. And, like, the whole smart contract thing came up right and left. You know, uh, 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 Dr. Wright was, which is a terribly ironic name. Um, but, he, you know, he kept bringing up the point saying that, you know, you got to think about you gotta, Bitcoin can be so much more. It can do this, it can do this, and there's, you know, talking about putting all these very tokenizing everything and all this stuff, and I get a little worried about that. And so I brought it up in my talk, because they're talking about, you know, having titles being put on the blockchain, having, uh, you know, licenses put on the blockchain, having just about everything you can imagine, having, like, your land, the, the deed to your land, or whatever the case may be, all of this stuff getting put on the blockchain, and I hear that, and Sovereign Tech listeners, this isn't new to them, but, you know, I freak out. It's like, are, are you serious? Because how, how is that all going to work? Like, how are you going to enforce those titles? Because also, I'm an anarchist. You know, we're trying to, and most of these people there, again, like we said, we're all very principled people. And they, they don't want governments whatsoever. And they're even very, being very open and honest, saying that Bitcoin is about getting rid of the necessity for government. It's about getting rid of the necessity for banks and all this stuff. But my point is, is that if you're going to be putting all these things onto the blockchain, how do you enforce that? You know, like that's that's what a lot of people feel like that is the like your your minarchists, okay? They yeah, think that's, that that's the only thing that government's supposed to do is just to protect uh, you know, life, liberty and property or whatever the case may be. You just need one big gun. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah and, yeah. Let, and let me have control of it. It's yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Give me the nukes. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so this, this well, that, that's the thing about smart contracts. Like, you know, my conception of smart contracts and like the way Nick Sabo was talking about them, which he like came up with them. So like he, sure. I mean, he has some authority there and credibility. But like, a smart contract is a contract that executes itself without the need for like the legal system to get involved or anything like that. So it should eliminate the need for any kind of government government or governance, you know, and right. it should, it, it eliminates like supposedly the need for any violence or coercion to enforce the contract. Cause the contract just is enforced. Like it follows certain rules and it can't deviate from those rules because they're written into a piece of software and the code enforces it. Yeah. It's self-enforcing um, and that makes sense for some things. But, like smart contract yes, is a but, really broad term. Right, but how could you possibly have that, which is what you're saying, Brian, how could you possibly have that for something like a house or a piece of property where, like, you, you know, you give this, this like, dystopian example where, you know, you buy a house. On, let's say you use your Ether or Ethereum to purchase a plot of land, and uh, you buy it on the blockchain, and you have the confirmations, and you've got 10 confirmations, and you paid for it, right? And it's on the blockchain, and every, everyone can see it. Well, when you get to the land, there's bears or <laughs> or yeah. there's like yeah. somebody squatting on it and you're like, hey, I bought this place. And, and you show you know, them the blockchain. Show them your blockchain, right? Show them your paper. That's my whole shtick. Show them the blockchain. Yeah. yeah. yeah but like, what does it mean to a bear? What does it mean yeah. to a squatter? It means nothing. Nothing. Right. 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 Yeah. You so how do you enforce this title that gets put onto the blockchain? I mean, a smart contract that is designed to control a light switch, mm -hmm. that's completely different. Yeah. Okay, like that that's something, okay, I understand that, that makes sense. It just tells something to go on and off, whatever. Okay, but when we're talking about titles, you know, what are commonly considered legal matters, things like this, uh, yeah, this is where I have a huge issue. But this mm -hmm. is the way the guys at Ethereum, and, and please understand, I use these, these developers' own words. You know, I don't put words in their mouth. Uh, I use their own slides to show this is what they're this is what they're schlepping. This is what they're putting on people, saying you can do you know uh, land land grants or you know land titles, whatever you could uh, you know your car, whatever the case may be. All this stuff gets tossed on there, um, and I I think that it's a, re a recipe for disaster because you're going to have to create an enforcement body yeah. to protect you from the bears or the squatter or the you know the thief, whatever the case may be. And once you create an enforcement body, once you create a body that, you know, that's carrying the guns, um, you've just created a government. But then, Which is what we have now. Right. Government enforcing titles. How it, is that much different? Exactly. Yeah. Blockchain or not. And that's part of the problem, like you bring up MK, and I think it's great, you know, saying, boy, this whole, like, oh, yeah, you know, the blockchain, all I care about is the blockchain and all this stuff. And, yeah, it gets tiresome because it's like, oh, well... The rhetoric comes off as if you just put anything on a blockchain, suddenly it's magic and it works, <laughs> and that's crap. <laughs> you know, that's, that's a good idea, right? Yeah. It's not true, you know. And just because you, you know, not everything is meant for the blockchain. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It's funny to see people who like might have identified themselves as libertarians at once get like excited about having ID systems on the blockchain and oh, their man. passports yeah, and things like that. Yeah, I, I, I <laughs> oh, go nuts with the that. whole ID. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, so the, the property thing is interesting. So smart contracts are, are going to be used eventually, and they're going to be useful yeah. for a lot of things and for clarifying a lot of disputes and all of that. But when it comes to property, there's all these assumptions built into it. Right. So property is still something that 
is not so easily defined. Ah, I, I love it, MK. Yes, keep going. And and this is like <laughs> something that's going to bother some ANCAPs and some libertarians. Uh-huh. It, this is one of those things that, uh, I mean, I've, I've argued with them about it. Um, and uh, and while, you know, I, I, I do obviously lean towards that, that camp on a lot of things, but when it, when it comes to property, it is not so easily defined. Right. And a lot of people would define, oh, well, at least a lot of ANCAPs would define property as something that's, uh, you know, it, it was claimed without coercion and it's, you know, you have a right to the property because you, you gained it without coercion and, you know, you gained it legitimately whatever those words mean right like every property we have right now is based on coercion like every property that we own like stolen everything from is stolen Native americans who were using exactly it right. exactly yeah. yeah yeah and so yeah so when it comes to oh we'll we'll just put titles on the blockchain what does that even mean you have to go far back you like this becomes a philosophic discussion like it's not just we're going to automate all this stuff you have this property now and it's yours and you know whatever i mean it goes a little bit further back and i think you know that side of things needs to be thought out a little bit more you know what what is the human element of property and and yeah and then you do have all these situations like um you guys brought up like you know what if there's squatters on the land what if there's bears like and and then all all of a sudden you you find yourself oh there's all these rules now like i don't like rules that much yeah (laughs) you know like i'm you know you know, there there are hard coded rules, there are like mathematical rules and like physical rules and yeah, things sure, like that. Gravity. But like outside of that, like rules get a little bit wobbly and weird and can be flexible and broken. Yeah, so. absolutely. You know, in fact, honestly, like I know I know one of the favorite arguments for people for anarchists is always like, Well, it just means no rulers, it doesn't mean no rules. You don't have to worry. And I'm like, Well, you know though, <laughs> I kind of lean towards the fact there aren't really a whole lot of rules. <laughs> right, yeah. right. I'm not a fan of the rules either. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, arbitrary rules for sure, or like, yeah, rules that have like double standards, you know, rules that are rules for some people and not others. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 It, it gets into That's it's, a, thing. It's a huge conversation. But now, at the same time, rules that don't have like flexibility built in for humanity, like, Mm-hmm. MK, I'd love if you would tell the story about like your apartment situation. And I was how just going to ask. Okay. That. Yeah, absolutely. If because you're, I think right. you're yeah. up for it. Yeah. 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 yeah I'll, I'll tell it. So, um, so, and you guys have been talking about this for a while, and um, I've been thinking about it for a while as far as smart contracts and, and other forms of contracts too. Um, they're they're good for a lot of things, but when we sign these contracts, and a contract can be anything from a verbal agreement to checking a little box of terms and conditions. And most of the times, especially with terms and conditions ones, these things that you're just kind of agreeing to to use these services that you kind of, you know, kind of have to, you don't have to use them, but like, right. you know, the Google board has taken things Yeah, like right. what else? <laughs> made things so Google easy, board, so it's just like click accept on everything. Right. It's They're not all like one-sided. you have a ton of options or like there's a real choice there. Yeah, right, right. It's just, yeah, that's how things are in in some areas. So you don't have a lot of options, and they're totally one-sided. 
So this is a situation I went through, and this is something that kind of validated what I was already thinking about. What is the human element when it comes to contracts? When you check that terms and conditions box, should there be a way for you to opt out of it if something unexpected happens? Like, that's what life is. Life is... Very, I mean, unexpected shit happens all the time. Right. So, uh, like a year ago, I didn't think I would be divorced. You know, yeah. like, I, I didn't yeah. see that coming. So, uh, so I recently went through a divorce, and uh, so in the process of untying everything, my ex-husband and I had a verbal agreement on the apartment that we had because we just signed the lease right before um, the situations that led to the divorce. So, um, so we'd been uh, on this verbal agreement for a few months and I had gotten the opportunity with Airbits and they were like, Hey, can you move out to San Diego? And I was like, fuck yeah, like (laughs) I'm going to go out to San Diego. So that meant that I had to break my lease and I was kind of wondering about, I was like, what am I going to do? You know, I have to break the lease, I signed the contract and all that. And I was like, well, you know, I'll tell them about my situation. So in, in the past uh, I would say a little under a year I've gone through probably three of the four most stressful things someone can go through. And I, I, I went through a divorce, I got a new job, and I'm moving across the country. So, like, all of this has happened actually in the last, like, six months or so. So it's it's been a wild ride. And um, thankfully I've had a lot of people who are very understanding. Um, like, my, my friends have been very understanding and stuff like that. Absolutely. And um, so I was like, well, maybe if I just tell the apartment complex my, my story, they'll empathize with me. They'll be able to level with me. Like, this is a, a weird situation. Didn't expect it to happen. You know, all, there's all these other factors. So I went to them and I was like, hey, you know, I'm going to have to break the lease. This was um, over two months before my move out date. So I had the move out date in mind. I was like, you know, okay, it's a... I'm giving you way, like, heads up. It was an all-right apartment complex. A lot of people moving in all the time. They would have had no problem finding, you someone know... To fill someone to you. fill in Someone to fill in. Yeah. And so I I told them this, and I mean, I, I was, like, you know, very honest with things. It was an emotional kind of thing. I was like, you know, this is... You know, it's a rough situation that I'm in. I, I'm not going to... You know, I have to break the lease. Like, I have to do this. And um, they were like, well... You signed the contract, and the contract says if you break the lease, you're still responsible for two months of rent after the time that you move out. Right. And and another caveat was that I couldn't put in my move-out notice until exactly one month before I was moving out. Like, I told them I was moving out, you know, bef- way before that kind of grace period so that they could have time to cover it. But they wouldn't honor it. They were like, no, 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 no. Here's the paperwork, but don't turn it in now. Turn it in exactly a month mm, later. Okay. You know, and all of that. And it really bummed me out because I, I was just thinking, like, if I was on the other side of that desk and someone's coming to me, you know, having this really bad, you know, personal situation they're going through and then all this other stuff that's going on, it's like... I would just lose the contract. I would just be like, what contract? Yeah, rip it right in half. Like, you know, like, you're having a hard time. I understand. 
you're in an apartment complex that has people constantly moving in, you're, a, you're making money, you're able to fill that spot, you have more than enough time to find someone to replace me. Um, but, but she was literally just like, well, I feel bad for you, but the contract says the contract says. And I was like, where's your humanity? Like, are you a robot? Yeah, where's the empathy? Like, yeah. Where, yeah. where's the kind no of empathy? And we're, there's no flexibility, and so I'm having to pay two months of rent in, for an apartment that I'm no longer living in, that I gave them more than enough time to find someone to replace. And I don't even know, because I'm not there, they could have found someone to replace me. And how long does it take to clean an apartment? Not that long. Put someone in there, so they could even be like double dipping, like they'd be yeah. getting rent from me and then like getting rent from these other people. Right. So like they'd be in two months from the people that moved in and two months from you after leaving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's yeah. crazy to me to think that like there's no flexibility with contracts, and even when I make verbal contracts with people, like I did with my ex-husband, and um. Things things were bad, but they did end up being amicable, and we were able to talk through a lot of this stuff. Um, but this was something I was talking with him about. It's like you know, verbal. I I can allow for flexibility in my verbal agreements with people and my verbal contracts right. with people. I take them very seriously. I do think of them as as a contract, but there's room for flexibility and humanity in that. And if we automate everything, do we lose that? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I'm reminded of a, of a liberty-oriented gentleman. He had a quote many uh, over a century ago, over a couple centuries ago, uh, that was, never let the law get in the way of doing the right thing. Yeah. And I think that's absolutely true. Uh, and I'm amazed that person, I don't mention the name, but I'm amazed he never became an anarchist. But I think the point stands, is that... You know, and, and it goes to show the ridiculousness of laws and the ridiculousness of, of a lot of contracts and all this stuff is that, look, sometimes what's on that piece of paper is not the right thing. And if we're going to hard code into Ethereum or into whatever, uh, you know, this it's like, well, hey, look, the code says it. You just need to deal with it. Uh, we have it's at that point impersonal. become robots. Right, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like... Yeah. yeah, it's really convenient to not listen to someone's frustrations or feelings and needs and to not empathize. It's just like, well, the fucking contract says it, so that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's no... And you know, also, I'm I always... just following the contract. Yeah, just following orders, right? It <laughs> yeah. completely removes the responsibility. Yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out. Yeah. This... It removes the responsibility for the person on the other side of that contract mm-hmm. and what they're doing, what they're participating in. Um, which could be sort of, you know, like an injustice against somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and another point I wanted to bring up, which MK and I discussed off the air, was that I always learned about contracts, like from a philosophical standpoint, a contract is not really valid unless it has a way to exit, and mm-hmm. unless there's like Absolutely. a way to get out of it. You can't just like sell yourself into slavery with no return, you know? That's not like a morally, philosophically valid contract with no way to get out of it yeah yeah so, and an exit that empathizes with emergency situations i think yeah yeah absolutely yes. yeah uh, right i mean there has to be like a genuine choice like i think like the spirit of the law or whatever like or what a contract is supposed to be is an agreement that people voluntarily completely voluntarily consensually enter into because they both think it will benefit them um, or everybody involved thinks it will benefit them 
and it's a documentation of that agreement. It's it's writing it down so that it's clear, and then like later on, if a dispute arises, they can go back to it and say, okay, well, we agreed this at the time, so how are we going to resolve this dispute now? Um, that's what it's supposed to be, but what it beca- what it has become, what most contracts have become, is a way to, is is just another power dynamic. The person who writes yeah. the contract is exercising power over the other person and it's just like well you okay you're gonna go along with everything i just said sign here and the the other person's like but but i don't want to go along with everything too bad you have to go along with it you know like agree and then we can call this voluntary even though it's not really voluntary Yeah. yeah well and and this is one thing i will say is positive about at least some of the people involved in in the smart contract side of things is they are working towards a more fair model with smart contracts having those outs you know having those clauses in there that allow for unpredictable circumstances because we don't have that now with a lot of things so they they are different in that regard so um well i think something that needs to come in and this is a part of Common, this is a part of you know all this Western basis of civilization law, yada yada yada, uh, was the idea that you could write when you sign something. Where in the the modern sense, would be the phrase "I agree." You know, when you click on that button, "I agree." There used to be a way when you'd sign things that you could sign it without prejudice. Like you would write on right underneath your name or on top of your name without prejudice, meaning that Which if there means, is something yeah. you didn't understand in the contract that you just signed. You could claim you didn't understand it later and could get out of the contract. Yeah. This is this. So what we're talking about here isn't new. Like yeah, in some yeah. ways. This is something that has been a part of common law forever. As long as it's existed, people knew, no, this person might not really be able to understand that everything's going on. Or something may come up in this person's life that changes their entire understanding of everything going on around them. And they need to be able to walk away from this contract. That's mm-hmm. absolutely necessary. This is not... You know, this isn't some, uh, some oh, you, you know, these new anarchists, they want this new way of life. No, this is the old way of life. This is how it originally was set up. Um, yeah, I think that that sort of thing needs to be. And this is a question I've asked some people uh, that are creating a lot of these blockchain technologies is, what happens when I want to leave? When I want to leave the United States of America and I make over $250,000 a year, I've got to pay out some pretty, some pretty big change. Mm-hmm. What happens if I want to take my property that I've registered on Ethereum and I, maybe I want to take it elsewhere, or I don't want it to be on there at all. What happens? And there's no answers for this. There's no, and I don't think anybody is okay with just saying, oh, you can just remove it or something like that. I wonder how that works. Uh, yeah, th- this, is, this is serious stuff to talk about. And I think your, your case with the apartment uh, really brings it you know, to light of how these circumstances that can, human things happen. And if you're going to yeah. turn everything into these, this robotic code, uh, you know, you're going to have a real problem here. And, and, and it's, it's a problem, too. Like, this is why people accept Washington, D.C., I think. It's yeah. like, okay, at least there's somebody else out there that's dealing with it. I don't have to worry about all this bullshit. Right. Uh, but that's the thing right. is that since you don't have to worry about it, you don't take the time to empathize with other people, and you don't take the time to empathize, honestly, with yourself. Yeah. And that's, that's part of the reason we're in so much trouble. You know, yeah. as, as far as, uh, you know, life on Earth in general. Yeah. So, but MK, When I nobody think, has to take responsibility yeah, for nobody, these unpleasant things, yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. And, and I, you know, it, it, the idea that we can 
program, a system, or a an idea of contracts that works for everyone, and you just you just put it in a mathematical formula and it works. That does really appeal to me. That would be amazing if mm-hmm. we could do that. If we could just put you know all of these crazy wobbly life things into formulas and like just automate it or like make it work like (laughs) that yeah just yeah code human behavior like that that does appeal to me and that that does sound awesome and i think that we're going to reach a point where that's more easily done but i would hope that empathy is a part of that and you know how do you strike that balance how you know it's going to be a rough road it's going to be a bit of a learning process um, we're, we're dealing with a lot of idealistic people in the Bitcoin space and like a lot of us see the potential of all this technology and it's like, yeah, why can't we just like mm. bots for everything, you know, and, yeah. and that, that can solve some problems, but it, it can make some problems worse or it, or maybe it doesn't address, you know, certain other, uh, kind of, yeah, kind of central concerns too. Like the, the humanity aspect is is always going to be a part and the inconsistency in human behavior can't be coded into things yeah i think really the only answer to this because i agree there are advantages i think using blockchains or even things that are beyond blockchains that are getting developed whatever the case may be to perhaps automate some of the process of what we do of how we interact and trade and things like that i think some of that can be a wonderful thing but i think what needs to be remembered is there's there is no one ring to rule them all and if there is one ring to rule them all you have tyranny okay (laughs) (laughs) and just substitute blockchain with the word ring and you end (laughs) up with the same thing i mean you end up with the same point uh and so you know this is why I, i think that they're really uh, you know, I bring this up just as an example with money. I bring this up often with Bitcoin. Look, when there were freer markets, which, you know, governments weren't always as encroaching as they were. We've, we've never had a completely free market. But when there were freer markets, there were thousands of currencies. There was not one. There was not this one single currency. And no, not all of them were by, backed by gold either. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I think when you have actual you know when you have a free market when you have a free life there isn't just this like one thing that you always run to it won't in my opinion and you ladies are of course free to disagree i don't think there will just be bitcoin i don't think there will just be one ethereum or something like that i think that a lot of this stuff will get localized be it i don't know what what are the circumstances that it gets localized to be it culture be it bioregion whatever the case may be uh, or just just to consider scale. I mean, I think something like like these, you know, title blockchains or whatever. You know, even though I'm still not a huge fan of titles and and all that stuff. I mean, it's it's amazing to consider. Like in the U.S. before 1972, you don't need a title for your car. Mm-hmm. How the hell is that? I mean, that that's anarchy. You know, like like that's rampant. In the New York State, you know, New York State how for some... How do people survive? Yeah, how do you possibly survive <laughs> if these cars don't need titles? How do they, I mean, and that's my point with a lot of this, too, is that a lot of this bureaucracy is, is pointless bullshit. You know, like, and, and, and we've done without it, and we did very well without it, too. Uh, I mean, I've owned cars older than 72, and I never, no one ever tried to steal it from me, and I don't carry guns. Oh, I mean, like, Oh, it's my gosh. Yeah, like, I'm just thinking of the times in my life where, like, adults have, like, talked to me about, like, 
what to do with the title to my car and they're like make sure you don't lose it make sure you keep it in a safe place it's like shouldn't you be concerned more concerned with like keeping the car in a safe place than the title (laughs) you know it's preposterous you know this stuff a lot of the stuff just is not needed at all yeah but if you're gonna have it i think the only way that it can actually work is when people actually know each other and they Mm. can and they will just respect each other and they'll just respect your property and yes fine you can have a blockchain where you know because a bill of sale of say something you buy is in my opinion vastly different from a contract or a title or anything along those lines okay and i think bills bills of sale are fine bills of sale we, we have bills of sale that are in cuneiform you know that, that the, the the sumerians used i mean this right. is ancient stuff that we've known to have you know you don't really have titles from back then but you do have bills of sale i think they're two different things you know you can register all that stuff all that that's fine and dandy but you keep it localized and people will just respect it because they know who you are they know, you know, uh, uh, if you live in, in like a condo complex or you live in something like that, when somebody that the neighborhood doesn't know who they are goes walking into your house, uh, I mean, there's no need for a title on your, honestly, I don't think there's a need for a title on your house there. Your neighbors know, wait a minute, somebody strange is going in that house, you know, and, and something will get done about that. I don't necessarily mean anything violent, but I mean, that's just, I'm just getting into theory because, and, and unfortunately, there's not a whole lot of other people to talk about it. Because or how about, else... how about take responsibility for securing your house? Like, if sure. you don't want other people to come in, like, put some locks on the door and things like that? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's, work on that. Don't work on the system that somehow has to bring in an outside enforcement yeah, uh, and that has a piece of paper that says you own it. Okay, big whoop, right? Yeah, like, what's right. actually going on in the real world with that thing, in, like your house? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, this is the 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 property issue. Like, how do you define property? What what is property? Is it someone using the property? Yeah, is it someone good... staying there for mm-hmm. a certain period of time? Is it right. someone owning a piece of paper saying they own the property but not really being there all the time? Like, well, you know, what is this? And it, we're still kind of figuring that out. I mean, just yeah. This has been a discussion that's been going well, on for well, all people, history. Thinking people are still figuring it out. I'm really impressed well, and pleased that you're you're bringing it up, MK, because I think a lot of people think, oh, we've already got this all licked. This whole property thing. I agree with you. We don't have this kind. Con- the property conversation needs to go on. It does. We don't yeah. have it defined. I don't like the way that pe- people say, oh, well, it's be it's all based on self ownership. You own yourself, and I have huge issues with that argument. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I think that that yeah, these. Uh, this is a conversation that has to continue to be had. We really yeah. can't define property. Maybe we need to come up with a completely different word. I mean, maybe the English language can't define it very well. That's a potential. But anyway, go ahead if you had more. Yeah, well, there could be, um, you know, categories of property or something like that um, to kind of de- define it a little bit better. You communist. My communist. <laughs> yeah, I'm such a communist. No, and, no, and she's I, a mutualist. I'm, I'm actually, oh, yeah, she's, you mutualist. Oh, Georgist. <laughs> I've homesteaded this shit. It's yeah. mine. Like, <laughs> no, well, well, it's so weird because, like, I... And, and really, I am just trying to hash this out for myself when I'm asking these questions. Because, yeah, like, I'm not an ANCAP. I'm not a mutualist. But I tend to piss off everyone when I talk about property. I know the feeling. <laughs> you yes. Know? <laughs> I like, know the feeling. It's just like, no, this isn't so easily defined. Like, when people are like, no, property is freedom. Uh, what? Property <laughs> is slavery. What? Like, <laughs> wait a second. Like, let's, you know, let, yeah. let's kind well, of back up and, and think about this a little bit more. And kind of where I'm at now with the property thing is I, I guess I do kind of fall on the side of you you own property when, you know, the person who owns a property is the person who utilizes it the most, maybe. Sure. And uh, so 
this isn't very, uh, ANCAPs aren't going to like this, but, like, I'm a fan of squatting, you know? Like, I, I'm okay with homeless people staying in abandoned buildings. I agree. Like, yeah. I guess what? Like, the, the property owner is not keeping that property up a lot of times. Um, and I've interviewed homeless people, uh, too, about this, who are like, you know, we we want to do the work to better the property. We want to make it better so that we can live in it and then we can, you know, even pay rent if that's necessary. But the property owners would rather just let there be abandoned buildings. And there are so many abandoned buildings and homes right now. Like, there are enough abandoned homes to house all of the homeless people in the country and have some left over. Sure. Just... Yeah. Like, the, that's what the numbers are. Like, there's mm. so much abandoned property. And then you get into kind of this this other thing, and, and I think libertarians can empathize with this, the whole, you know, banks taking people's homes mm-hmm. kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Like, so where does property come into that discussion? Right. Like, so, oh, so the bank has the paper saying they own the property, so they can just kick these people out and create a homeless problem. You just mm-hmm. created homeless people by kicking them out of this property that, yeah, maybe they couldn't pay for, maybe they shouldn't have gotten that loan, but the government forced, you know, the companies to give them that loan or, you know, whatever situation it was. But, but, but yeah, like, where's the humanity in that? You're kicking kicking out these, these families and, uh, you're letting these buildings just get completely dilapidated and fall apart, but still use the force of the state to prevent people from staying in these abandoned buildings. Yeah. And yeah. that's insane to me. I agree. Yeah. It, it, it's completely insane. And, and we haven't hashed these things out. And I don't think there's a nice, neat answer for it. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I think it comes down to, you know, individuals and being like, hey, you know, like, okay, maybe the bank technically owns this property because this piece of paper says the bank owns this property. But... If someone's staying there and they're building it up and they're fixing it up and they don't have the paper saying they own it, but as far as I'm concerned, they do. If they're living there and they're fixing it up and they're, uh, you know, trying to survive, like they've homesteaded that property. And, um, yeah, again, yeah. that's not a very comfortable argument to make. Yeah, <laughs> with, with nuance. There's stuff, nuances there. There's a lot to take in there. There's but a lot, yeah. Yeah, but that's the point. It's more is, complicated. Than yeah, it, but I, yeah. I think your point, and Stephanie, I want to hear what you have to say on this. Um, I mean, the human condition is incredibly dynamic. Mm-hmm. It is not ones and zeros. And yeah. And I think that it's very difficult to just say that there's one rule that, that, that says, you know, this, they can do this, and they can do this, and they can't do that. And I, I think things get very strange. I mean, it is a case-by-case basis where individuals... Yeah. The rules can't all apply all the same all the time. I mean, some, yeah, of course, gravity is going to knock everybody on their ass. Mm-hmm. Okay, but the, in other cases, you know, maybe not so much. Stephanie, what do you think? What, what? So, yeah, I've been thinking about this, and I have a perspective that I think can distill it down and clarify this whole issue a little bit, and I agree. I love that, it when you do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I agree that it's not simple, and it, it can get, like, really murky at, at times, but... Um, I think of property as like the point of property or why we're even asking this, these questions is because property is a system for resolving disputes and, and preventing conflicts in a world where there are scarce resources. So when there's scarce resources and humans need resources, they're going to have conflicts over those resources. And property is a system uh, whereby everyone can agree on 
uh, ownership so that there are not conflicts over particular resources. Um, so yeah, I like to think about it from that perspective of minimizing conflict. And when would you get more upset about, um, something that you thought was yours, if you were really invested in it, or if you like, just didn't care? Obviously, if you're emotionally invested in it, you care more if someone took it from you or you couldn't use it or it was destroyed or whatever. And when do you feel the most sense of ownership over something or the most sense of emotional investment in it? Well, it's when you use it more. It's, it's not, for example, if you have a piece of paper that says you own a house, but you've never seen the house, you've never stepped in it, you've never... You've, you've only maybe seen pictures of it, but maybe even not that. You don't probably feel connected to that physical place, that piece of that building. Whereas if you've lived in a home for 20 years, you probably feel a huge sense of ownership and maybe you've fixed it up and you've, you've contributed to it, improved it. You feel a huge sense of ownership and you'd be really upset if someone took it from you or if something happened to it. Yeah, if you can't afford to pay your property taxes, that's what happens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. Well, that's a whole other thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, like, do you really own something if the government is, like, charging you rent on it effectively? Who who actually owns it? Um, but, yeah, ignoring property taxes for a mi- moment, like, you obviously you feel the most ownership over something when you've invested the most in it and in terms of energy, time, um, sort of, like, bonding with the place, I guess. Um, and it, it hit me. I was thinking about this this weekend, actually. Like... I remember a lot of the hotel rooms I've stayed in and like a lot of the trips I've gone on and I, and like the, the configuration of the hotel room and like what it looked like in the decor and everything. And the feeling I got when being inside there is part of like the memory of that trip. And when I stay at a place for longer, I start to feel like connected to it. Mm-hmm. After a few days, I start to feel like, Oh, I'm getting comfortable here. Yeah. You after, call the hotel room home. After a few weeks, I start to feel yeah. like, Oh, this is yeah. my home. Yeah. At least, you know, like for a little while. And yeah, I get like a little emotionally attached to it. I know some people aren't aren't like that, but yeah, I I definitely feel that way. So, and then another example too, like um, children. I don't think human beings are property, at least as it's like usually defined at, yeah. at all. I don't think of people as property, and I don't think of children as property. But um, just as an example. Do you feel like you are more of a parent, like if you are a sperm donor and you blow a load in a jar and then some (laughs) woman gets pregnant who you don't even know and then a baby is created and you are technically the father, or if if you have a relationship, let's say you're a guy and you have a relationship with a woman and you decide to like make a baby together and like the baby grows up and you spend a lot of time with him or her and you like make decisions and help the baby get to like adulthood and like when are you more of a father in the first case or in the second case i think obviously in the second case Mm -hmm. like in the first case you're technically a father but you're not like really emotionally invested in the child's life so yeah it's the same thing with property like and if we're talking about preventing disputes or like preventing conflicts or resolving conflicts the conflicts are going to happen in the situations where people are most emotionally invested and they care the most about the property in question. So, um, yeah, I definitely think use comes into it and use has something to do with it. Yeah. And, um, in a way they're like, in a way, uh, with consumable property, like for instance, food, 
like it makes it a lot easier because once it's eaten it's like well once it's used it's destroyed like there's no argument you can't like extract the food from somebody like if 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 brian eats like a banana that i thought was mine like yeah. okay that banana's gone yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. like that makes it a little bit easier but like if brian walks in my front door and like takes his shit on my carpet or something you know like i'm gonna be pretty mad right yeah yeah that's like a mutual respect thing when it comes to property so like i i'm not so even though as i said earlier i i don't mind squatting i would never squat in someone's house like i would respect their property rights, mm-hmm. you know, and not because they have a piece of paper saying it, but because that's their home, that well, they had that personal attachment to it. And I, I think, you know, I, I don't know if it's, it's, there's not a complete, maybe there's not a complete resolution of property rights, but having a kind of mutual respect with people goes a long way. Well, yeah. I, absolutely. But when we grow up in a, in a society where our property rights are constantly not respected yeah from the moment we grow up like we're exposed to taxes and government and like you know kids are going through the tsa and even being shown that they don't have complete control over their own body which is like the one thing if you have no possessions you only you have yourself you have your body and like even that is not sacred and like school you know you kid goes to first grade and how is that school paid for well by property taxes which are you know threatening the parents if they don't pay like rent on property that they supposedly own so like Mm -hmm. we grow up with these twisted concepts of property and so it's no wonder that people feel really murky about it as Mm -hmm. adults like yeah we just don't get a lot of clarity about property well i think both of you are hitting on like the of course the ultimate answer but the you know we have to get to that world and the ultimate answer is like you're saying the mutual respect the respect not maybe necessarily a property but the respect of the fruits of our labor you know the respect of our labor of what we do what we produce mm-hmm. uh you know and, and what we get out of what we produce and things like that that mutual respect if people would just respect each other and what they do then these resolute these disputes wouldn't even occur mm-hmm. you know like like it, it it likely would not happen um, and and I, I think that may be kind of the ultimate solution, you, you know, with, with, with a lot of this. Uh, unfortunately, like Stephanie, like you said, you know, we're not in that world, uh, you know, and I wish we were, you know, we're not. Uh, that's why, you know, one of the big things for me is, you know, these ideas of intentional communities where you have people who do have this respect that you're talking about, MK, and they just get together and they live in, you know, a, a certain, I don't know, like a certain group of housing or whatever the case may, you know, however it works out you Mm -hmm. you live together and you can just respect each other's property is the government going to respect it well that's where things you know that that's where other plans have to come into play but the bottom line is is that you know that's about the best thing i think anybody can do right now you know if they really want that i mean that's just you know kind of my uh, my opinion on it but i think great points this is a conversation that's going to be had forever yeah (laughs) it, it really is yeah it really is and you know government's not based on respect but no. our individual relationships can be. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's, I mean, that's that's progress, too. I mean, that's, uh, you know, I, I think people are able to recognize that on an individual level, even if they don't get the philosophy of anarchy, and they don't get, like, why government's bad and stuff like that. They know on an intuitive level that you need to have mutual respect for each other. Right. So yeah, we, how do you broaden that to these other kinds of 
conflicts. It, it can be done with the right resources and mm-hmm. people coming across the right um, arguments. Sure. Yeah, we've talked a little bit about like people getting kind of like territorial, like in this world where like our rights, our property rights, if they exist, like are not um, respected by government, or there's like a culture, there's at least somewhat of a culture of disrespect for property, at least in certain situations. And so people get like territorial and they feel this scarcity mindset and this mm-hmm. lack of abundance, and they get like, ooh, mine, I have a title. Like they want to feel good knowing that they have a piece of paper or like a certificate <laughs> that says, okay, this is yours, you know? Yeah. Like, and so they get like really like weird about, um, about hoarding these like pieces of paper to feel this some kind of a sense of security which they can never really get because we don't have complete respect for property in this world mm-hmm. but it works the other way around too because when people uh do ha- get to experience the sense of pride and ownership in things that they really care about and put work into and when people do get to experience the um benefits of their labor the fruits of their labor and really owning those and feeling the sense of ownership they become really generous they want to share they feel a sense of abundance and they want to share it with people that they care about so that they can feel it too because we're humans and we have empathy and we want the ones we love to feel happy feelings like we feel so yeah if we can foster like more of a sense of security through through abundance and an abundance mindset and prosperity yeah. people will become really generous and a lot of these problems will will just kind of like take care of themselves. No, I think you're right. Yeah. I mean, if you have, you know, if, if you have uh, 100 cans of Diet Coke, I think the average person, you know, who walks up to you and says, hey, can I have a Diet Coke? Generally, you're like, yeah, sure, I'm here, man. Well, yeah. that's, that's just marketing because on the can it says share a Coke with Brian Sauber. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, I mean, that's that's true with a lot of things. Like, yeah, just, just like asking or, or whatever i mean like yeah. the, there, there's respect, so many right? things that i would just like voluntarily give to someone who asked for it and sure. even if they didn't need it or whatever like here yeah just take it if you just ask for it you know instead of just assuming you can have it like if you just take the time to like hey you know do you mind if I, you know whatever yeah, yeah you know. it's like heck yeah I, i'm all for sharing so I was thinking about it like we were talking about homeless people squatting in abandoned buildings and like on on one level like I feel a little bit of like a react like a part of me is like reacting to that and saying that's not fair like they didn't earn any like they didn't do anything to like deserve to live in that building you know like what is like why are they getting why did they get like a free place you know just for just because they're homeless or whatever but then another part of me is like no, it doesn't, it actually doesn't affect me in any way. And like, it's not taking anything away from me. If somebody who needs a place to live, like gets one and nobody's going to like choose to be homeless just so they can get a free house. Like that's going to happen. Right. You know, like nobody really wants to be in that situation. Oh, well maybe some people do because there there are people who choose to be homeless because that gives them more freedom in a sense because they like to travel or whatever. Sure. But the solution to that isn't kicking them out on the street. It's, you know, maybe getting them some therapy. Yeah. No, I don't like like, like, what did they do to deserve to be homeless? You know, like deserve is such like a, you know, it, it's such a weird word, you know, like, do, do people deserve a house? Do they deserve, um, yeah, you know, security? Word. Do they, well, you know, it, it's kind of a hard thing. And so when you realize that a lot of us are, and we don't have conventional jobs, but 
most people are one paycheck or, you know, it, it, it's in two paychecks away from the street. Two, two paychecks away from the street. And right. that's, that's very true. And sometimes it just takes a series of bad things happening to someone mm-hmm. to where they wind up on the streets. And then once you're there, you know, what does that environment do to you? How do you survive in that? Like, traps am I going to be mad that, like, a homeless person wants to use money to buy beer? Hell no. If I was homeless, I'd have to have a drink every now and then <laughs> just to survive. Like, I'm not going to knock that person for doing what they need to do to survive in a situation that I've never been in and can't possibly comprehend. Yeah. So, um, so, so yeah, like, uh, yeah, but, but I do understand, you know, like, uh, it's yeah it's a it's a complicated situation but yeah, uh, how yeah, do they it, wind up in that situation and how i and, yeah and, and do i fa- like why am i siding with like this bank like not even a person right. Right. organization that wants to have a feel good piece of paper and and have this like security blanket of knowing that they they own this place and no one else can go in it you know like, who cares? Like a right? piece of paper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Well, we've only got, uh, boy, maybe maybe six, seven minutes left to the whole show. This has been awesome. Uh, I love this. <laughs> Two of my favorite people on the entire planet. I get to do Aww. a podcast with. Uh, in bed at that. <laughs> this is awesome. Uh, but, uh, We're keeping it professional. Yeah, right, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah oh, yeah. Of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> But, um, you know, I, I want to know, I guess Bitcoin has been a major, the, the property talk is phenomenal. This is something that, that really needs to be, you know, had and discussed. Uh, but, you know, a lot of this was a Bitcoin talk. And so I guess real quick with just some, some finishing comments, I'm curious, uh, we'll go to MK, then of course you, Stephanie, you know, what, what do you, do you think, I guess I, I want to find out, do you think that Bitcoin is going to become a uh, an arm of the state, or do you think that uh, that that liberty will win out with this thing? Uh, because I mean, certainly, I think this this event that we've attended, Bitcoin Investor Conference, uh, was very inspiring, and so I wonder if that's changed any perceptions. But MK, if you're open to it, if you, you know, go for it. If not, I'll I'll let, uh, if you want to think about it a bit, I can toss it over to Stephanie. Hmm. Oh man, that's that's a really good question because it's something that I've thought about since I learned about Bitcoin. Sure. Actually, it's something that I'm constantly revisiting, and so okay, so the origins of Bitcoin are radical, yeah. and I would say anti-status. Yep. Totally, totally. But it's a tool that's been released into the world. And much like any tool that's released into the world, whether we're talking about the internet or guns, for example, something that libertarians talk a lot about, all of these tools are value neutral. So good and bad people can use them. Sure, it's what you do with it. Right? It's what you do with it. So um, can Bitcoin be used for money laundering and assassination markets and all of these like bad things like things that I don't advocate and don't believe in or you know government systems like making a more transparent government stuff like that yeah it's possible um can it be used to liberate uh people in um you know lesser privileged countries 
yeah, absolutely. It can be used for a lot of different things. And I'm so bad at making predictions. And it's the, <laughs> the hardest thing about predictions is like w when you realize how powerful this tool is, you can see how it can be wielded in so many different ways. So I really don't know. I think we're going to see. That's a great answer. I, I'm along for the ride. And, you know, I hope that Bitcoin and the Bitcoin space focuses on those principles and retains the core values that Bitcoin started with. But I don't know. I mean, it's very possible that it, it could be used for bad things. It already has been used for things that like I may disagree with, um, you know, on a personal level. But um, we'll see. I'm along for the ride. And yeah. it's a very exciting ride so far. Absolutely. Well, it's, it's good to have people, you know, like yourself, that are you know, you know that that have philosophical grounding and can keep an eye on this stuff and are in the space and can see and perhaps if you do feel that things are going wrong, you can warn people or if you think things are going very right, you can help get people excited about it. So I think that's that's great, uh, Stephanie. I mean, what what do you think? Do you think do you, are you willing to, to venture? I mean, I don't know. Is a perfectly valid answer. In fact, it's, it's a great one. Uh, but do you want to venture? Do you think Bitcoin is going to end up becoming an arm of the state? somehow or do you think it, it really will be so key to freeing everybody i do think bitcoin is going to become increasingly statist actually okay <laughs> but i think there's going to be a small minority of people who understand the principles that we hold dear and i hope enough of them are computer programmers and developers so that they find technological solutions to let us have the choice to use bitcoin privately and to and to use Bitcoin consistently with our principles, even if Bitcoin at large or in general becomes, you know, just slightly better PayPal, slightly better credit card, and like generally pretty statist and pretty like status quo. Sure. Yeah. No, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that that's a fine answer. There's MK. a huge incentive for it to become that. Like the incentive is the dollar signs that all these investor types see like all these VCs and whatever, um, that's an incentive because they want to make money. And in order for them to make money, they want, they're going to want to push Bitcoin in a certain direction. And if they see the ability to make money by doing that, they're going to do it. And they have a really strong incentive to do it. Um, so there, I see the incentive there. Um, but I also see counter incentives, you know? And so I think that there's just going to be like somewhat of a divergence you know yeah and hopefully yeah. technology will give us choices and we can take advantage of those choices but if we don't have the choices you know if <laughs> if all the cool features just get stripped out of bitcoin um you know we might have to look at something else <laughs> yeah well the monetary incentives are built in because it's money mm -hmm. but um it, it does kind of interest me so uh, to go back to the blockchain versus Bitcoin mm -hmm. discussion, why is that narrative coming out all of a sudden? Yeah. At the same time that things like Blockchain Alliance are coming out, the same time that Wall Street is starting to invest in these blockchain-friendly um, in investment you know, organizations, things right. like that. So it, it's, it is kind of interesting, interesting looking at the rhetoric around things. So, you know, maybe Bitcoin is so dangerous that they have to construct this kind of narrative to distract from it and be like, oh, let's, you know, use the blockchain stuff and it's, you know, more 
know, yeah. being friendly and stuff. So, yeah, it could go either way, right? But I, I do see your point there. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think one of the, you know, just if I was to predict, the recent, with the blockchain alliance and with, like, inside Bitcoins becoming blockchain agenda and all the stuff, that concentration, like you're talking about, MK, with blockchain, with the word blockchain, um, I, I kind of, I'm going to have the prediction that I think Bitcoin is, may not become an arm of the state because it sounds like the, the narrative is getting pushed for this whole blockchain thing and they don't want people to even know about Bitcoin. Uh, like they don't, like that, they don't want that term getting used. Mm -hmm. And so I could venture that like Bitcoin XT, which, you know, is a potential, well, soon it'll, it'll have to be at some point, a fork of the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, I think that that may end up dropping the entire name Bitcoin. Maybe it'll just become XT, you know, yeah. at some point. And then is that even Bitcoin at that point? So, you know, right now, just, just a, a, and I would have felt very differently not long ago, but right now I think, uh, I think Bitcoin may not, I mean, it's true, yes, it's, it has the potential, of course, to go either way. Um, and it could very, very well, you know, become a very powerful arm of the state, I think. But, uh, but right now, if it was my prediction, I think Bitcoin is going to stay the currency of criminals. And hooray for that. Because... <laughs> amen. <laughs> yeah, amen. Because I, I think that is A-OK. -okay. Because like I said, you know, in a world that loves the state, the people that don't love the state are not criminals. Uh, or, well, you know, they're considered criminals. But in all actuality, they're really their heroes. Uh, so anyway, um, this was fantastic. Uh, like I said, this is really enjoyable. Um, MK, where can people find more of you? What's the easiest way for everybody to uh, to creepily track you, or, no. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or at least follow your work? Because you do great stuff. I mean, and uh, you do so you. much in this, uh, you know, in, in, in uh, this whole space—not just Bitcoin, but liberty and all sorts of other areas. Thank you. Well, uh, so. Um... I'm probably most radical on Twitter. I'm just MK Lords. I'm actually MK Lords across all social media channels. Right on. That's pretty much where you can find me. And I do a lot of writing for Airbits, which is at airbits.co. And um, that's been really, really cool, too. So very uh, tight team of people. And, um, and yeah, so that's, that's kind of more of the technical writing I do. And then, um, and then Twitter is more like just weird ramblings right on stuff. which some of that's the best <laughs> so, <laughs> hashtag overheard in vegas bathroom <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Oh my God. Oh boy. <laughs> and of course the lovely and hyper intelligent dr stephanie murphy can be found at smvoice.info yeah i've uh, heard on sovereign tech and eventually we're gonna i keep fucking saying this we're gonna bring back science <laughs> sex and science hour yeah we, yeah <laughs> Do a podcast from bed. Maybe we'll just have to record it in bed. Yeah, <laughs> make it a little easier. So comfy. It is. It's the best. So nice. Yeah, very relaxed. I'm kind of drifting and... off right now. So. I love it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so anyway, thank you all for listening. Of course, next week you will get your Halloween special. Don't worry, I'm going to uh, number mm -hmm. the episode 149B, and you will. I know I've said it over and over again. It's going to come out on Halloween. Well, special circumstances, I'm sure all listeners are going to be like, well, I'm sure as hell glad that he put this one out Dude, right now, because I, this is gold. This I is got to say, radio. this is going to top Lavender Town. If you're a fan of Sovereign Tech and you listen to the Lavender, oh, Lavender yeah. Town episode, everybody love that. You're going to fucking love this. Yeah, this is, this is good shit. Yeah, Stephanie's done great work with this. So this is going to be tech. good stuff. 
Yeah. <laughs> Comrades. Yeah. yeah, it's going to be gold. So get ready for that. That'll be next week. But anyway, Carpe Lucem, everybody. I'll see you on the other side. just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com, that's S-O-V-R-Y-N Tech.com, and connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love, and love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to the evolution. Hey, I want to tell you about something. It's a website called libertymemes.com. It's a site that was established recently by voluntarists for voluntarists, and also for the purpose of helping spread the message of liberty. What's more important than that? Many of the memes at LibertyMemes.com are not only extremely entertaining, but also quite informative and convincing in the cause of promoting liberty and libertarian ideas. I need you to go to LibertyMemes.com, that's LibertyMemes.com, and find a few memes that speak to a part of the message of liberty that you associate with, and share those memes using the easy share bar located at the bottom of the screen. And LibertyMemes.com is a mobile-ready website. That means regardless of what chrome robot turd of a device you're slinging around, you can access it. Of course, I suppose you don't have to visit LibertyMemes.com and share their memes. You don't have to support their sponsors. Because at the end of the day, eh, maybe Liberty isn't really that important to you. But then, why are you listening to this show? LibertyMemes.com. Adding new memes every day and rapidly approaching their 1,000th meme. Visit them today at libertymemes.com.